when I started this, I didn't start this because I wanted to charge as much as I possibly could for each trademark. That's not what I was trying to do. And if my goal is to live comfortably, say I just want to make six figures each year or say I want to hit 200,000 in revenue or whatever my goal is that I just want to be comfortable and be happy and healthy. I have to keep that at the forefront of what I'm doing so that when I see the next person and they're like, oh, I had a $50,000 a month and we charge $5,000 per trademark, I'm not tempted to say, should I be doing that? Hi, Offscripters. It's your host, Sewa Ajay Pele, and welcome to episode 71 of the She's Offscript podcast. This is a show where we hear and learn from women who've created unique blueprints for success. My hope is that you'll hear their stories and translate their gems into a unique path for yourself. In today's episode, we meet Kiana McGee. Kiana is a trademark lawyer who actually owns the brand Trademark My Stuff. While she was in college, Kiana ran a successful t-shirt business. Everything was going pretty well until she tried to trademark her business name and discovered that someone else owned it. I'm going to make sure that this does not happen to other entrepreneurs and that we know this from the jump. I know it sounds fun to start a business, get out there, brand, put your website out there. But if you do not own your brand, baby girl, it is a risk. As devastating as this was for her, the experience set her on a path to spare others the same painful experience. So if you dove straight into launching your business, however small it is, without first taking the steps to protect your brand, this is a great episode to listen to. During our conversation, Kiana walks us through her journey to launching the McGee Law Firm. She also shares a detailed roadmap on the steps you could take if you chose to DIY the trademarking process. With the pandemic on everyone's mind, of course, we also touched on how her business and home life have been impacted. In fact, you may even catch a few sounds from her kids in the background, but welcome to our new normal. Before we hear the rest of Kiana's story, I would love it if you could subscribe, rate, and review our show on iTunes. This will help to spread the word about our podcast so amazing stories like Kiana's can continue to inspire women looking to launch their own off-script journeys. With that, let's go off-script with trademark attorney and founder of the McGee Law Firm, Kiana McGee. Kiana McGee, welcome to She's Offscript. How are you today? I'm good. Thanks so much for having me. I'm glad we could make this happen. So for anyone who hasn't heard of you or the McGee Law Firm, could you share who you are and what you do? Yeah, my name is Kiana McGee. I am an attorney here in Detroit, but we are widely known for our trademarks and trademark my stuff. So our brand is trademark my stuff. I am an intellectual property attorney. I'm a mom, a wife, um, a follower of Christ and everything else. So that's me in a nutshell. Okay. And I know you graduated as valedictorian of your class in law school and your law school was very well ranked. So congrats on that. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And so why did you choose to go into business for yourself as opposed to practicing at a very prestigious law firm instead? So big law, as they call it, really wasn't an option for me because I knew that I needed the flexibility. Um, I'm a mom of two. And at the time, my son was born while I was in law school. So I knew I wanted to continue to have the freedom that I had while I was in law school of being home with my kids. And I didn't want to sacrifice that. And when you go into big law firms, they want you to work 60, 70 hours a week and Mm -hmm. sacrifice everything for, you know, the bottom of the pay. And it just really wasn't worth it. Um, Some of them even paid well, but it just still wasn't worth the time that you had to give to it. And it was 
wasn't something that I was willing to sacrifice. So I knew going right out of law school that I needed to work for myself and to find a niche that I would enjoy because going into an office or a court working for a judge or for someone else just was not something that was going to complement our lifestyle at all. Uh, And people don't think about that perspective when they see the dollar signs being offered by a company. What else is it going to cost you that's going to deduct from that dollar sign they're giving you? Exactly. 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 My daughter has no idea what I do. She does not care. But when she says she's ready to play, she's ready to play. Or (laughs) if she has a field trip and I can't go, she's not going to care that I was doing X, Y, Z for whatever judge. She's going to remember that I just wasn't there, you know, and I just didn't want that to be my story. So I always knew that this was only going to be my only route. But law school's expensive. I know even the Obamas reportedly didn't pay off their school loans until they made a big as president. Yeah. <laughs> so how yeah. did student loan debt, if you had any, even factor into yeah. your decision? I definitely had student loan debt. I still had student loan debt from undergrad. And even going into law school, I wanted to score high enough on my LSAT to where I could get a scholarship and I didn't. Mm -hmm. So my freshman year, my first year, excuse me, in law school, I'm like, okay, I need to get my GPA high enough to where I can earn a scholarship while I'm here because of my GPA while I'm in school. So I did that. And 50% of my law school education was covered through the, the scholarship through the school, thankfully. And so I didn't come out with as much debt as other students, but I still have law school debt, of course. So having to pay that back is obviously a struggle, but it makes it a lot easier when you come out of uh, law school making six figures in your first year. And a lot of people don't unless they go into big firm and again, sacrifice their souls to do so. Mm. Sometimes I I see how amazing women are. You had a baby in law school. You came out as valedictorian. And I know you worked as a TA while in law school. Yeah. It's just amazing what you can accomplish when your back is against the wall and you have no other choice. Right, right. And it's a, it's a tough position to put people in, but I think people show their finest work when they're in that situation. You know what I mean? Especially those types of people that work best under pressure. And I hate to say that that must be me, but I think it is. Like, and if it's not hard enough, I'm not in, in, entertained by it at the least bit. I'm like, either give me some pressure or nothing at all. It's horrible. I also <laughs> always wonder this. How did the way you were brought up influence your thought process about big law was not an option for you. Yeah. So as I was growing up, I didn't even know what, you know, that big, what big law firms were. Um, all I knew was that my mom was incarcerated for a year when I was a second grade. Um, and so that was my first encounter with experience, experiencing what the criminal justice system was in general. And I knew at that moment, once I realized, you know, what was all going on, I knew then that I wanted to play some role in educating people about their rights and about, you know, the law and what that means for them. And so of course, as a child, you don't know what that encompasses as far as student loan debt or this many years of education. You just know that that's the area that I want to practice in. So I went after that, pursued, you know, uh, I have my undergraduate degree is in criminal justice. And then, you know, I went to law school to do the same thing. So I think it was God's funny way of steering me in the direction that I was going to lead. And it was just the first strike at it that was painful at the time, but necessary to get me, you know, in that lane um, of a career. Of all the types of law out there, why trademark law then? 
Oh, I think here goes God again, just giving me a tough lesson before pushing me into one area. Um, Before I went to law school, I used to have a Christian t-shirt company called Daughter of the King, and it really took off. We had so many different t-shirts and we ended up selling over $100,000 worth of shirts in 18 months. And it was like crazy. I had no intention on actually starting a t-shirt company. And then it just snowballed into this company. And so by the time I, you know, was sitting there realizing like, oh, okay, I think we're really onto something. We should probably like try to trademark this. I went and contacted an attorney and went to trademark it. And lo and behold, it was already trademarked. And I'm like, oh my God, like what's happening? And so I knew at that moment, the demise of this company was on, on the horizon. Like it was a wrap. I needed to just go ahead and shut this down because at this point you're tiptoeing around something that you'll never own. You're building something that's never going to really be yours. And somebody can come in and take this all away from you at any point. So you might as well bow out gracefully now and just, you know, chalk it up as a loss. And that's exactly what we had to do. So um, it was a lesson for me, you know, having to have gone through that myself. So where by the time I finished law school, I'm like, you know what? I love entrepreneurship after, you know, that whole experience. Um, I still had a, you know, a fond niche for that. And I'm like, I'm going to make sure that this does not happen to other entrepreneurs and that we know this from the jump. I know it sounds fun to start a business get out there brand put your website out there but if you do not own your brand baby girl it is a risk you know what I mean and so I just needed to push that message as much as possible so that people do not end up you know with this six-figure business but it's snatched away from them as well so did yeah. anyone ever reach out to you about hey you're using my never never and to this day I've never heard from her um, we still have the Instagram page up and you know all the followers are still there everything is just still sitting there I did take the website down and we don't obviously sell the shirts anymore that said daughter of the king on it but um no one ever reached out and I think like I said we bowed out just in time before it got you know too hot but she still owns the trademark to this day I guess you can just bide your time until the trademark expires and I thought about it I thought about it But really just hearing that story, I'm sure it's gotten people's attention. So what steps would you have advised your younger self to take when you first started that business? Just to make sure like, it's not just a cute name, but it's a cute name that you can actually own, you know? And that's the important part. Like we come up with stuff and we get so excited and we just dive right in and we want to make sure you can have ownership of that. Not, you know, not just in your city or like, oh, I've never heard anyone in Detroit. Okay. The world is much bigger than just Detroit or Atlanta. So do a search. You can go on USPTO.gov and do, you know, a free preliminary search um, there. And it's not all encompassing, but at least it's a start. Um, And, you know, search your local database for your LLCs, domains, social media, check all of that stuff to make sure someone is not already, you know, already branding this and have already spent, you know, how much money they've spent on it themselves. So make your path a lot easier, but just by just taking a minute to do just a little bit more research on the front end so that you don't regret it in the long run. Mm, That's very good advice. I know when I started this podcast, I definitely did everything you said just to make sure that I wasn't putting in all this work and then have to backpedal later on because you build a following, it's difficult to do. And to have to do it again, it's probably not easy. No. And who wants It's dreadful. It's dreadful. Nobody wants to start over. And so some people hearing this might think, cool, let me go Google how to trademark my own stuff. What would you say are the pros and cons of going the DIY route versus hiring an attorney to do it for you? 
Yeah. The biggest mistake that I see with future self type applications is that most people think that the application is it like, Oh, well I can fill out this application. That's it. And that's the very start of the process. That's all it is. And so if you can read, you may be able to read the application. It's not overwhelmingly um, difficult to read the application, but the research part on the front end and knowing what they consider to be like, um, like names. So some people will put in a search and they put in their name and they're like, Oh, nothing came up. However, it's not that simple. If there's another name and it's one um, one letter different than yours, it's going to come up as a likelihood to be confused with that brand. Or there's uh, it may be spelled differently, but it's pronounced the same. Or something like that to where you put it in and you think it's okay. And then once you submit your own application, the examining attorney comes back and says, absolutely not. There's three other brands that are pronounced the same or spelled similar or something like that that didn't come up in that preliminary search. When you hire an attorney, there's we use a completely different database than the uspto.gov website. And that database gives us access to all of those other marks that you would not have found on that site. So that's the first thing is just not being able to have adequate research done on the front end and being deceived into thinking that that name was available and it would not have been confused for another name when actually it will be. Um, and then after the application is in, there's a lot of, um, uh, heat that will come in regard to um, office action responses. So when an examining attorney issues what's called an office action, you have to respond back to that. If she declares that your name is too close to this name, um, you have to respond back to that and you have to use case cases as proof of why this name isn't going to be an issue. If you've never done that before, you would have nowhere to start. You wouldn't know what to do. And then you're stuck and your, your application is now abandoned when you could have hired an attorney on the front end to handle that for you. Um, most most attorneys will, you know, go ahead and defend an application that they submitted. Some attorneys, that's another fee that they charge. So that's a question you always want to ask on the front end. If you do hire an attorney, if there is an office action issued, is that covered in the fee that I'm already paying you? Because you want it to be, you don't want to have to keep paying, you know, throughout the process. But um, if you do end up filing it on your own and you get an office action back, there's also attorneys who you can pay to go and do that response aspect for you. But chances are they're going to charge you an arm and a leg because now they're cleaning up a mess that they didn't create. Mm. So if you can afford to, if you have, you know, the know-how to at least, you know, reach out to a couple of attorneys and speak with them over the phone or a consultation, it's definitely worth your while to at least contact them and, you know, see if you can afford their rates to have them file it for you because it's not just the application. It is one aspect, but it's not just the application that you're filling out. And I think so many people make the mistake of thinking, oh, this application can't be that bad. I'm just going to wing it myself. And then they reach out afterwards like, hey, I had a quick question. A quick question. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> I know you mentioned being able to afford it. And especially now, you know, things are tight. So what yeah. is a price range we should budget when we're ready to take this step? Because, you know, yeah. there are some people out there who are bad actors that price gouge. So what would you That is so that? true. So it ranges just like any other service. So there's some makeup artists who are celebrity makeup artists and it's $200 a face. When there's other girls who are just starting out and there's are $35 a face. And it's no different with trademark attorneys. There are trademark attorneys who are $5,000 for one application. And I'm like, I contacted an attorney the other day and this was for a client. I was trying to see what other attorneys were charging for copyrights. And this is a different aspect, but she told me that it was going to be like $550 per page. And I'm like, lady, what are you kidding me? Like it was like, and I had like 20 pages that I was talking about and I was filing it for this person. 
person for $200 for the whole document. So the fact that she was telling me $550 per page, I'm like, <laughs> what's going on here? You know what I mean? So there's all, I, that's why I was speaking about always calling around and shopping around your best, um, opportunities because you're going to get a range of prices depending on experience, depending on, you know, race, honestly, you know, no, no shade, but white attorneys will charge you five, $6,000 for a trademark. And you're like, does this even include the application fee? Like what, what, what is it? You have, we have no idea what's in that cost. Um, but then there's others that who are much more reasonable and it's going to include a lot more things, including the office actions, the applications, the searches, all of that, instead of trying to push you on an hourly rate and say, Oh, well I charge $300 an hour and it's probably going to be X amount of, you know, dollars. So if I were, um, someone who was not, you know, an attorney and wanted to trademark my application, I would go no higher than maybe tops of $1,500. And you can make sure that that attorney has experience, that they're going to cover everything that you want them to cover, that you guys, you know, relate and that you can, you know, see yourself working with them. If all of those boxes are checked, then I will go with that. If someone that's, you know, above that price range, but you still have that same connection with them, then they might be worth, you know, paying. But I would definitely call around and see, you know, what your experiences are with those different attorneys before just locking in on one person and thinking that this $3,200 price is how much it costs. It's not. You can get a range of answers depending on experience, you know, depending on all of those different things. So call around, definitely call around, but set what you want the budget to be or hope for and see how close to that you can get depending on, like I said, experience. I also worry about getting what I pay for. If someone charges $5,000, is it possible that the the lawyer charging $50 is going to miss something and then I'll be back paying more? Yeah. So there's three steps, you know, overall in the trademark process. And I would do, you know, as much research as you can on your answer that, you know, okay, it's the research aspect It's obviously submitting the application. And then there's office actions at the end. Ask them about each one of those phases because there's not much more to it. So if I'm charging $6,000, what are we doing for this $6,000? You know what I mean? And and 4,500 of it could just be their fee. And if that's okay, if that's your fee, but help me understand that. You know what I mean? Tell me that so that I can know how we're making up for this gap. So on the flip side of that, though, we often hear about women not charging enough. And so have you encountered that even for yourself as a business trying to set your prices? When you hear that another lawyer is charging $6,000 for something you're doing for 200, does that ever make you think, am I charging enough? You're tempted to start thinking that, but then on the flip side, I'm like, okay, I try to go back to the basics. When I started this, I didn't start this because I wanted to charge as much as I possibly could for each trademark. That's not, you know, what I was trying to do. And if my goal is to, you know, live comfortably, say, I just want to make six figures each year or say, I want to hit, you know, 200,000 in revenue or whatever my goal is that I just want to be comfortable and be happy and healthy. I have to keep that at the forefront of what I'm doing so that when I see the next person and they're like, Oh, I had a $50,000 a month and we charge $5,000 per trademark. I'm not tempted to say, should I be doing that? No, I need to stay on my path. And if my path is, you know, charging 929 for each trademark. And if that takes me 50 more trademarks to get to her level, that's fine. I'm on this path and I need to stay there and stay focused on what I consider to be successful in my lane or successful in my life. You know what I mean? And if this level 
and this revenue stream and this level of clients brings me peace and happiness, I'm chilling. I'm coasting right where I'm at. I'm not going to, you know, feel like I need to raise my prices because she's, you know, getting much more for her time and dollars than I am. I'm comfortable right where I'm at. My clients appreciate it. I appreciate it. She has a market that's targeted to her. She can take that, but this is where I'm at. You know what I mean? And I don't um, want to ever be tempted into raising my prices because someone else's rate has, has such a, you know, bigger margin on their trademarks than I do. Oh, I love that. Go back to your why. Go back to the reason yeah. you started doing this to begin with and don't get caught up in that race. Yeah. Every time you hire a coach that in my experience, the first thing they're like, oh, raise your prices because people are going to pay what you want them to pay and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, tell me anything but that. Like, and it's all you can and we have that option, but that's not. No, no, I don't I don't want to go any higher than where I'm at. I'm comfortable and it's fair and it's, you know, it's a legit price for where I'm at. And that's just something I'm not negotiating on at all. I love that. You just know what you're about and you stick to that. Yeah, yeah for sure. So earlier you mentioned that that attorney did copywriting, which just makes me think maybe it'd be good to throw some definitions out there. So what is the difference between something that's trademarked versus registered yeah. versus copyrighted? Yeah. So a trademark is more so for branding um, recognition purposes. So your name, your slogans, your logo, anything that would indicate where this particular brand of product came from would likely be a trademark. So um, again, the name, logo, slogan, stuff like that. As far as copywriting is concerned, we do copyrights as well, but not as often. It's more so for content. So if you write an ebook, if you write a, a physical book, um, lyrics to a song, music composition, a letter, a poem, anything that is content related and not necessarily um, a signal of a brand. So if you've written some type of body of work and you want to protect that and you want to make sure no one else has the right to copy it um, without your consent or to duplicate it or, you know, um, just just send out other variations of that work. You want to make sure you copyright it to make sure you're listed as the only person that has the right to con to copy this particular body of work. Interesting. So yeah. I know a lot of online entrepreneurs are producing those eBooks are producing methodologies or things of that nature. So yeah. would the process be the same as filing a trademark? A copyright is so much more simple than a trademark, thank God. And the, the process is much a, qu a much quicker turnaround as well. So it's much more inexpensive than trademarking. Um, and the filing for that, again, is fairly simple. But if you get in there and you're like, hey, I don't, this is not my speed, you can obviously always hire an attorney for that as well. But the process is, I think it's less than a 90-day turnaround and you can actually expedite it if you like as well. Trademarking, there's no expediting a trademark. It's going to take forever. And that's just what it is. So the application for copyright, like I said, is much cheaper and much faster than an actual trademark application. Okay. So I see people online using the TM symbol after yeah. their brand name say on Instagram. I do it. Does that yeah. offer a layer of protection before you even start the trademarking process. It's supposed to indicate that you have a common law trademark on it. Like I created this in my state or in my area. And this is, I have intentions on trademarking it. It does not have any legal ramifications to it whatsoever though. The only thing that actually has a legal ramification is that registered R symbol. Mm -hmm. And that registered R symbol is indicative of, to the world to say, this is a registered symbol with the United States government. This particular brand is registered with us. And it assumes that everybody knows that it's trademarked. 
whether you know what that R symbol means or not. So if you don't know what it means and you do copy that brand or you never even saw that brand, but you copied the brand knowingly or unknowingly, the law is going to assume that you knew because it has that R there. And that's the power behind that R is that whether you know it or not, whether you know what it means or not, we're going to assume that you knew. And for that, you can be sued automatically for stealing this person's brand and duplicating it under another business. So it gives you the right to sue for any monies made while they were using your brand. And that's the power of the R, but that's the only one that has actual powers per se. Um, the copyright C, you naturally have the right to use that copyright C and that's not the same as, um, uh, trademark registration. You can't slap that R on anything unless you actually have a filed registered trademark for the registered R. Copywriting, you naturally have a common law copyright on anything that you create, but it's still best to file a copyright as well. Got it. So yeah. what recourse do you have if someone kind of slides in behind you and actually trademarks something after you've been operating in that business for years? Yeah. So you, if you catch it in time, there's a period in the application process where you can object to their trademark filing and prove that you were already in existence. You've been using it for this amount of time and that they're them being granted this trademark is actually an infringement on you. But if you pass that window of time, you're in an uphill battle against a registered trademark now trying to garner this brand back. It is a, 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 pit, a pit of money that is going to be, you know, spent towards trying to reclaim something that was once yours and now it's not it literally would likely be more cheaper for you to, it would be more um, economical, should I say, for you to go ahead and just start a new brand than to try to fight a person once their brand has been registered and given to them. Um, however, on the other end, like I said, if you can catch it while they're applying, you do have, there is that, that phase of opposition where you can still oppose their application during the published for opposition phase, but if you miss it, and it's only a 30-day window, so if you miss it, that's gone. Oof. So do I it on the upfront, do it upfront. Please do. So what process can people expect to go through when they reach out to work with you? So we have an intake. Um, they, they can always um, book an appointment on our website for a free consultation. And that just goes over the price, what it includes, what they're looking at. If that name is too common, if it's not going to be trademarkable for some reason, if it's way too simple, like um, computer desk, and you want to try to file a trademark for that. And they're like, nope, we're, you're not going to be able to file a trademark for that. Um, so if there's names that just cannot be trademarked, and sometimes they're described as being merely descriptive, which means, you know, you're simply describing the service that you're providing. It's not literally a unique name that points to you by any means. So those things we can go over in the consultation before they even try to, you know, pay for it or get started because we can knock some things out right away. And then once they do go ahead and pay, we like start everything is automated. We'll start the research immediately, um, send them an opinion letter, which basically details all of the research um, results that we found related to the marks that they're seeking to file for. And then we go ahead and file their application. Um, and then, like I said before, there's like a waiting period that is going to be a silent season because we're not doing anything but waiting. And then the public for opposition um, phase will come and we, you know, continue on from there. But it, I give all of my clients my cell phone number and try to keep an open line of communication and keep them updated along the way because attorneys have a horrible rap of being like, uncontactable basically after the case is submitted or filed or in, in motion. So I try to be as accessible as possible, which is 
extremely difficult with 300 clients. And I don't know if that was the smartest thing to do at the beginning, but we're working on it. We're figuring this thing out. <laughs> um, and then uh, just trying to make sure everybody is assured, you know, that they are important and that, you know, their trademark is, is being, you know, pursued with the, to the fullest extent and not feeling like they're, you know, in the desert and they don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. With 300 clients, I know you had mentioned one of the reasons that you wanted to go into starting your own business was that work-life balance aspect of things. Are you finding that you're still getting that as a solopreneur? So I was just telling my husband about this the other day. I'm like, oh, we have no choice but to hire another person next week or within two weeks because it's become like, okay, it's around the clock at this point where I'm handling calls all day and I'm not getting work done because I'm handling calls all day and their appointments, it's not like they're not, you know, scheduled and it's random. They are, you know, appointment, appointed calls, but it still gets in the way of me actually doing the work. So we're hiring another person. I already have one young lady on staff right now and she's amazing, but she's in law school too. And so she's limited in, you know, hours and and ability. So we're hiring another person to make sure that this doesn't become what I wasn't looking for in the first place. And even though Corona has taken over and it's made it even more difficult, because at least before my kids were at school all day. So I had all day, you know, to pursue the work and to do everything. But now I'm trying to cook, clean, you know, play with kids and everything else on top of act like a lawyer all day long. You know what I mean? So it has become a true battle where I'm like, okay, yeah, this is not, this is not going to work. So we're going to have to pull another person on at least until we get an inch closer to normal because right now this is not normal and this is not okay. So Mm -hmm. yeah, it's been an interesting ride. Oh, I know. It's interesting to hear from different people's perspectives, how they're managing with this, it's, it's nuts. It's nuts. But I came across this thing where they talked about the dirty dozen and this is a total tangent, but they called it the dirty dozen of household chores. And Mm -hmm. essentially those are the things that most couples are arguing about right now as they're home together. So who's taking out the trash? Who's the person that's actually doing the homeschooling with the kids yeah oh my god yeah who's responsible for going out and grocery shopping because that's a whole ordeal who's responsible for blah 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 blah. like all these things so those are the dirty dozen yeah yeah (laughs) it's crazy it is crazy so my husband's working from home too and it's kind of like he works he's a vice president of a foundation here and so of course he's like super business all day gets up and get dressed every day and then goes into the office and i have to keep the kids quiet like you know what i mean day long because he's actually on zoom calls and it's just like you do know i have like a whole law firm over here right and i'm like right but it's just in the background that's a similar situation with me and my husband as well because he works corporate and i run my own business and so there's a little bit more flexibility on my side so the kids end up falling with me right of course always and it's like we've had these conversations where i'm like i don't i'm not sure that you take my business as serious as yours like is this still like you still think this is for play like what is it about this that does not take priority in our house because this is an issue for me okay what the author of the book who included the dirty dozen was harping on was that couples need to discuss who's in charge of each of those dirty dozen items so that no one person feels frustrated, especially during this time. And I thought that was ingenious. So you do a daily check-in, you know, is the load balanced? Because we got to come out of this sane. (laughs) It is something else. So my husband does, he does the laundry and he's always like that. He enjoys that, which is really strange. But he, 
enjoys laundry. So he does that and he does dishes. Like those are the two things that inherently just became his. And that was like in marriage period. So that has worked out that it's always been that way. But now that it's this situation, like he still sticks to his faithful too. And I'm just like, you need more. They're 13 apparently. (laughs) No, my husband and I actually went through that last night and he does cover quite a bit of it. Like he does the shopping, grocery shopping. He will do dishes. We'll trade off on dishes sometimes too. Um, he, he does a lot. So I'm like, okay, we're well balanced. We're well balanced. Right, we right. Figure out the homeschool piece. But. The homeschool, <laughs> exactly. I was like this. And then I was telling him, I got so frustrated like two weeks ago. And this is like you said, completely off topic. But anyway, I got so frustrated like a week or two ago because I was like, I think it just hit me that one day you're going to go back to work and I'm still going to be quarantined with these kids. Like school's over. Like they're not going back. And so right. even if they open the world up in June, I'm not sending my kids out there. Not, nope. No summer activities for us either. No. So I'm still here. Like, so you're going to go back to work. Let me just get this straight. Like I had to like really sit down <laughs> and I'm like, I'm still going to be here. Like, so even if people start talking about the world opening up, I'm like, Kiana, get it in your mind. And it's still not going to change for you though. For you, it doesn't count. Like it doesn't count for you like at all. So just get comfortable. And I just like went to bed in the middle of the day. Like I'm done. I can't, (laughs) I can't, I cannot even process this right now. Like it's just too much. (laughs) No joke. It is all a lot. It is all a lot, but I love seeing how so many of us boss women are handling this because at the end of the day, business still gets done and it gets done well. It has to be done. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And so if we remember nothing else from our conversation today, what parting advice would you have for female entrepreneurs out there? So my advice would be to just do you and do you like to the fullest extent um, and make it work for you. So a lot of people are either inspired or baffled on how I'm able to be um, professional, but yet still be very urban and very me all through social media. And then, you know, my career, because it's so un professional to be, to show so many different colors and sides of you being an attorney and being African-American is rare enough to be both of those, but then to also be both of those and rap all day on Instagram, not cool, not okay. And not, like not very becoming if you say, so, you know, just being able to embrace where you are, who you are, there's a community of people that are assigned to you and just embrace that, you know, walk, you know, in your truth and just enjoy you being, you gives other people permission to be them too. So just do that and do it to the fullest extent. And once you decide to brand yourself, check the names first. Ooh, I mean, I would have been suspect if you didn't include that piece. (laughs) Of course, of course, of course. Kiana, for anyone who is now hyped about getting their business set up correctly and trademarked, how can they find you? Yeah, I'm on Instagram every day, all day at Kiana the Lawyer on Instagram, which is K-Y-O-N-A. But you can also reach out on our website, trademarkmystuff.com. And all of our consultations are free. So feel free to reach out at any time. And if you don't know, Kiana does have the trademark on Trademark My Stuff. Yes. So don't even try her. for me not to. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much. No problem. No problem at all. Thank you for letting me be a part of it. Hi, Offscripters. I'm so glad you made it to the end of this episode. If you enjoy listening to our show, please pay it forward by sharing us with your network. Between episodes, you can find me on Instagram. Our handle is at She's Offscript, or you can catch up on past episodes at She's Offscript.com. See you on the next one.